Warning, this episode contains brain food that will lead to improved emotional and social intelligence. Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen is fresh, optimistic, and purpose-driven media that promotes well-being from the inside out. Each week, Lisa spotlights diverse trendsetters and change agents who are the greatest contemporary thinkers and doers, devoting their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen, is a widely recognized applied positive psychology expert, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in optimal lifestyle management. Let's get to it. Here's Lisa. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Thanks for joining us on today's show, where you will learn how to rise up, reaching for resilience in challenging times. My first guest is Scott Hamilton. Scott, welcome to the show. I want to talk with you, Thank you. about what it means to show up, what it means. To... <laughs> well, I mean, there's two different ways of occupying space, right? There's one way is to just sort of sit there. And the other is to really, truly like embrace every aspect of that moment. And so, you know, I, I kind of figured that out in my skating life. You know, if, if, I, if I'm on time and if I'm occupying the ice for the hour that I'm on the ice, that's, that's okay, a win in one regard. But I learned pretty quickly and through a lot of failure that if I'm not really truly embracing that hour as, a, as an opportunity to grow and to improve my skills and to kind of like take it to the next level, then I'm, I'm just, it's sort of a wasted hour. And yeah. when I made the decision to kind of go all in, you know, everything changed. I mean, everything results started getting better. I started being more consistent. I was happier of day to day in my skating and people noticed, you know, and so I, I look at so much of, of how we can learn from one aspect of something and translate it to another. And, and I just feel during these crazy times that we're living through that now people need to kind of like, you know, stop, just turn off all the noise just for a minute and just, just, just like invest themselves in themselves. And so when the live your days platform uh, was created, it was actually four years ago. And I just come from the Cleveland clinic where they diagnosed me with my third brain tumor. And they were telling me all the things that they wanted to do a treatment or surgery or hear the options. And I, I wasn't really hearing a word they were saying. I was kind of in the, my mind, all I kept, all I kept hearing was this infinite loop of like, get strong, get strong, get strong. And I, I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know if it meant physically, emotionally, uh, intellectually, spiritually. And so I go, you know what? I think I'm I, E all the above. <laughs> I'm just going to try to like, <laughs> Because, you know, when, when your life is threatened and your back's up against the wall, you can either collapse or you can come out swinging, right? So I just felt like, you know, now is a good time to come out swinging. So they go, what do you want to do? And I said, I'm going to go get strong. That's what I'm going to mm. do. And they're like, and let's keep an eye on this thing. And because by the third recurrence, it was like, or the second recurrence, I guess, the third brain tumor, it, it was like the devil I know now. And I really didn't feel symptomatic. And so I just wanted to keep an eye on it. And then when the time came, I'd pull the trigger on a treatment option. But in the meantime, I was going to just lock and load and get ready for the battle. And that was just 
getting physically strong, you know, dropping the weight I wanted to getting, you know, more muscle mass. It was, you know, really pouring into my emotional health. And a lot of that came through my spiritual health and and then just be interested in the process, get to know everything I needed to know about, uh, you know, my condition and and also just really just be interested in, in what's going on in the world and just sort of stepping out of my bubble and, and just sort of like engaging. And, and it was remarkable that in just that decision of really investing in myself, the tumor would shrink and grow and shrink and grow. And, and it kind of has been vacillating and it's been sort of a miraculous journey. And so when, when they detected the tumor four years ago, I was working with a company called five by five agency, their amazing marketing group. And um, they took a, an interview that I did with people.com and they extracted what I said, like, man, we got to just live our days. Cause <laughs> in that I said that our, you know, our bodies are incredibly fragile and vulnerable to a lot of things, but they're also phenomenally resilient, but ultimately temporary. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, yeah. This just, is the vessel. That's it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and then, so we got to like, let's just take this experience and try to get everything we possibly can out of it. And so um, they they said, well, let's do it. And I go, no, it's not. It doesn't feel like the right time. There was just something in my spirit that just said, uh, no, this isn't. No, this isn't your message right now. And I thought, okay. And I try to always listen to that inner voice, that inner spirit. And and so uh, second month of COVID in April, uh, everything's locked down. People are afraid to go to the grocery store. They're you know everybody's just in fear. And they reached out and they said, now. Yes. I just said, (laughs) you know what? Now, now is really important. And so we saw those, you know, that two weeks to flatten the curve turn into now it's like nine months. And, and it's, and we don't see really any end of sight. You know, whatever the next normal is, is it hasn't really presented itself to as far as I know. So it's, it's sort of like one of these things where it's really great to just take ownership of our lives and our experience and and move forward in joy and in confidence. You know, Scott, some people would say you're, you know, you're Mr. Positive, you know, you're the uh, Mr. <laughs> yeah. They call me Pollyanna. So maybe they would call you Polly Adam. I don't know. But, you know, you, you have a track record of through all that you have done, whether it is your skating career um, your your bout with cancer, the brain tumors, broadcast career, it's all based upon positive, positive, positive. And some mm-hmm. people would say, well, I just don't have it in me. And I think yeah. one of the things the Live Your Days campaign does, and certainly all the other luminaries that you interview and will be interviewing, really teach us that we can cultivate this. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I, I, hey, you catch me on, on a day, and it's like I'm I'm the most like beaten down person you could possibly imagine, but I, I'm really building those muscles, and and it is it's that showing up thing. It's like I'm building the muscle I need to build in order to rise up above whatever my current situation is, and and that's kind of who we are as people. We we do have the power, we do have the authority, we do have all of this incredible strength to tap into if we just recognize that, you know, and. There'll be times, you know, it's like, oh man, today's the day. And it's just like, I'm, you know, I'm struggling with this and I'm really having a hard time with that. And this didn't go the way I wanted it to. And it's like, doggone it. I'm about to lose my temper and, 
and I, that's so unusual for me, you know, and it's just like, you know, take, up, take a step back, breathe, 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 and you'll get through it, you know, and, and so it's this, that. Um, so we just got to just take, take stock of our circumstance and then take control of it. And, and it's really a muscle. It really is building a muscle in your being that just allows you to kind of like go, huh, okay. Um, I could choose to go left or right or down or up. And I really want to go up. I, I really want to do everything I can in order to live this day productively and joyfully. And when we talk about, you know, um, mental muscle tone or emotional fitness, if we approach our lives as we would train for a skating competition or train for a marathon or train for, you know, whether it's even releasing a little bit of weight because we want to be a little bit more fit. Each day we've got that freedom to be happy or the liberty to be miserable. Right. I mean, it's the it's the two sides of the same coin. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny. I did a Ted talk. I'm like the dumbest guy to ever do like two Ted talks. And, um, the second <laughs> Ted talk, you know, I, I was at uh, a thing in Nashville. It's all about country music. So I was at the BMI honors thing dinner. I was there because a friend of mine was being, um, recognized that night. And I thought, Oh, that's really, you know, it'd be fun to go to this thing. And I was inside and just sort of, you know, doing what most people were doing at the time, this like staring at all the luminaries in the room and, and just being, you know, in awe of all the talent. And I, I was standing next to this guy and he goes, Hey, I run the Ted TEDx in Nashville. Would you do a talk for us? I go, sure. And he goes, okay, <laughs> we'll be in touch. And so I, I said, um, what do you, what do you want me to talk about? And he goes, I don't care. <laughs> I was like, oh, well, I mean, I thought there might be a reason you invited me to do this. And, and uh, he goes, I, I really don't care. And I thought, well, all right. Uh, okay. So the only thing, and again, it's that, that inner voice that they are kind of that inner spirit said, you need to talk about suffering. And it's like, oh man, that's a big fat downer. I don't want to do that. And it's like, I couldn't think of anything else. So I went on the TED site and I said, suffering, who's talked about suffering. Nobody had ever talked about the one thing that we all have in common. Yeah. The one thing we will all experience and that is suffering. And so I, I decided I needed to address it. So I came at it from many different angles and from my own experience. And, and it was uh, remarkable that um, I came to the end and I said, look, the way I see it, you know, like when we get to these difficult times, it's like we're at a fork in the road, right? And, and in my experience, we have three ways of, of handling that fork in the road. But the fork in the road isn't a left or right fork in the road. And I took my two fingers and I held them out like uh, parallel with the floor. And then I raised my, my right index finger and I, I lowered my left middle finger so that you can see the road was one was up and one was down. And I said, this is our choice. We, we can succumb to whatever our condition is right now. Just let it run its course. Let it defeat us. Let it you know, just destroy us. We could stay at the fork and not move and just adapt. <laughs> you know, that's a choice. Or we could just, you know, really just start digging deep and, and climbing that higher road that will allow us to evolve into who we are legitimately supposed to be, you know. So the succumb, adapt, evolve thing has been something that I've really looked at it, at, you know, and, and again, it's almost daily that something comes into my world or my space that is trying everything it can to bring me down or to make me question things or 
you know, I, you know, I'm a married man with four kids. If that isn't stress, <laughs> I don't know what is. <laughs> Though that requires succumb, well, adapt, or evolve. You well, know, man, I got to evolve. I got to evolve. Kids <laughs> serve it, right? But it's like that. It's like, you know, it's it's uh, my wife and I. We have different backgrounds. We have, you know, we love each other. Everything, you know, it's like solid. But we do come at things from our own personal experiences. You know, my parents were school teachers. You know, and 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 so it was kind of like one approach. And her parents, you know, were um, you know from the south, and everything was very you know genteel and 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 they're wonderful, wonderful people. So it's just sort of coming to that idea that it's you know every marriage is um, a pure uh, mixture of commitment and compromise. You know, and you know, and and hopefully, thank goodness for me, forgiveness. You know, it's just like, yeah. uh, but it's it's that it's like how do we handle this the best way we can handle it? And like every time my teenage son gets in his car, I go, think of the best decision you can make at any given moment and make that one. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Where's you know, to I, start with I, where you are. <laughs> yeah. You know, and so it's, it's all of that. I mean, there's so, there's so many radically chaotic things going on in our world, especially right now. And we just have to be comfortable in our identity and what we have to offer. And, and this, especially, to ourselves. It's not being selfish to show ourselves up. You know, when you're on an airplane, they tell you to put the mask on your face before you do that of a child, you know, because if you're no good, they're no good. And and it's kind of that way as, as we interact with our community, it's like, if we're no good, we don't have anything to share that, that will feed and, and, um, and really grow and, and impact our communities in a positive way. So, um, you know, I, I just really just, I, I'm constantly working on it. I, I read, I listen, um, I, I try to pay attention to what's going on. And, and sometimes, you know, I do succumb a little bit to all the negativity and I get frustrated and other, t- you know, and then I'm able to rise above it. But, you know, this whole kind of live your days concept is this is one of your days. Yeah. <laughs> this is one of them. One of and your most numbers. precious days could be the most precious day of all if you allow it to be yeah and it starts with that choice of yeah i'm going to do this today right let's take a break when we come back we're going to continue the conversation with scott hamilton we're talking about live your days campaign to learn more about scott's work over with live your days please visit liveyourdays.com on twitter at live your days on facebook live your days official and on instagram at Live Your Days. We'll be right back. And when we come back, Scott, I want to talk with you about your podcast and some of the cool people that you've been talking with. Oh, man. We'll be right back. Before we pause, I want to remind everyone about the impermanence of all things, both good and bad. At the beginning of the pandemic, it felt like we'd be in for a brief rough patch and then life would return to normal. But now the new normal is quarantine life, social distancing, online learning, and missing people we love around the world. And sometimes I too feel overwhelmed by everything on my plate. Work, caretaking a family elder, my kids, maintaining a healthy routine, concern for parents and siblings who have gotten sick, and staying on track to meet my professional goals. It's a lot to handle. Taking care of our mental health should not be a luxury, but a self-care necessity. And that's why I'm proud to be partnered with Talkspace Online Therapy and also a client. Therapy can really help shift your perspective, teach new tools to cope in difficult times, and be a guiding light in the stormy seas of life. 
I wholeheartedly recommend Talkspace. You can sign up online and start therapy on the same day. Depending on the plan you choose, you can text, video, or send voice messages to your licensed therapist. Best of all, Talkspace is a fraction of the cost and more convenient than in-person therapy. It's like having your own on-call mental health angel. And Talkspace has thousands of licensed therapists trained in more than 40 specialties, including anxiety, depression, substance abuse, trauma, anger management, relationship issues, food and eating, and so much more. Talkspace is a secure and private HIPAA-compliant interactive platform that uses the latest end-to-end bank-grade encrypted technology, providing a safe virtual space to talk it out with your therapist from the comfort and privacy wherever you are, whenever, and for whatever is on your mind. My therapist gave me practical guidance that really changed my life for the better. I'm so glad that I found Talkspace and got the support that I need and you can too. As a listener of this podcast, you'll get $100 off your first month with Talkspace. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com or download the app. Make sure to use the code HAPPINESS to get $100 off your first month and show your support for the show. That's HAPPINESS and Talkspace.com. Now let's take that pause. We'll be right back. To learn more about cultivating sustainable well-being at home and the office, visit HarvestingHappiness.com and explore Lisa's experiential on-site brain fitness workshops, corporate programming, and speaking engagement services. We are back. If you're just joining us now, we're talking about what it means to rise up, reaching for resilience in challenging times. Let's get back to the conversation with my guest, Scott Hamilton. Scott, you have a podcast now, which is super cool. You have done a nine-part series, which may expand as a result of all the great work you're doing. Talk a little bit about the cool people who are showing up. Oh man, it's been such a blast. You know, it's just, we were informing, you know, kind of the whole idea. We just said, you know, we want to come up with, you know, sort of like make live your day, sort of the carpe diem of today. You know, it's like when you get up first thing, it's live your day, live your day. And so I thought, well, you know, I got a lot of really fun people that I've been around that, you know, have really cool stories to share. So I think instead of just people looking at my, you know, bald head, my aging face, (laughs) it would be fun to kind of bring in people to talk about their lives and how they built it and how they've come, you know, risen above, you know, any of their, you know, sort of, you know, struggles or challenges. And so we put together a list of eight people and, and, you know, I think each of them, many of them will be familiar. A couple of them may not be, but they all have something to say, you know, and, and they kind of go on those four qualities I tell you, you know, about physical, emotional, intellectual, spiritual. It's like, that's the foundation of our lives, right? And it's like, if you're sitting in a chair, and those were the four legs of the chair, physical, emotional, intellectual, spiritual, and any of those legs were missing, how's that going to work out? <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like, probably going to fall down. So we we really wanted to talk to people to kind of bring people in and allow them to be entertained and enlightened. And our first, uh, the first podcast release was mine, which was basically to set up the platform. And then the, the uh, first guest we had was Robin Roberts. And I was blown away. You know, I did my research and, you know, as we do, and 
you know, her, her dad was a Tuskegee Airman, which I didn't know. Oh, I didn't wow. know that she was um, a Hall of Fame basketball player. You know, her dream was to go to Wimbledon, but she knew she was, you know, that wasn't going to be her sport. So she got into basketball and she was um, one of the only women ever in her conference to get a thousand points and a thousand rebounds in the same season. And she was just dominant, but Dang. She, she loved sports. And so she, you know, and her storytelling of even, you know, she got into like media and she started very low and she worked her way up and then ESPN called and she turned them down because she knew she wasn't ready. I mean, it's like, what? And so, you know, it's like her and it's like um, Christy Yamaguchi born with, you know, deformity in her legs and feet. Um, and she becomes an Olympic figure skating champion. Kevin Nealon uh, dropped today. That's the one that's being um, done. It's out uh, as of today. And, and he talks about, uh, you know, being ready for the moment. He desperately wanted to be a stand-up comic, but he didn't know anything about it. So he went to work as a bartender at the Improv in L.A., but he didn't know how to bartend either. So, you know, it's just <laughs> about, you know, really preparing yourself to be ready for when opportunity happens. You know, Bart Miller of Mercy Me, uh, you know, broken family, abused as a child, you know, is, he's always considered his father to be a monster. And through faith and cancer, uh, his father was redeemed. And he, and he said that the man he feared and hated the most was the man he wanted to become and who became his best friend. And the story of redemption is just so powerful in his faith. And, um, you know, Miles Adcox from Onsite, you know, he, it's a mental health place where he said people deserve to have a PhD in themselves. You know, mm. it's like, you know, and, and yes. we deserve it. We, we deserve to we feel do. good about ourselves. And so talking to him and just his platform and how he's grown it. And, oh, you know, it's just been, uh, you know, Marcus Whitney, who I could be like a stalker fan of this guy. He's an entrepreneur and <laughs> helps in Nashville and, and he's a part owner in the Nashville SC soccer team, but he's an entrepreneur and he like his journey of how he had to figure it out was just remarkable. And it's inspiring for anyone that is in a position of failure that wants to rise above their conditions. So we talk to people that really have something to say in a really fun, entertaining, but also powerful way. And, uh, it's just been remarkable. I talked you know, to, um, one that's coming up soon is Vern Lundquist. And he just celebrated his 80th birthday and he captained some of the most memorable events ever on television, you know, of just being the play-by-play guy and, and just his, his life and how he built it. And it really has been a wonderful adventure and I really hope it continues. And, uh, you know, I guess it depends on how it takes root. But one of the ways that we've um, built this thing to, in order to be really impactful is um there's as part of this there's a 30-day challenge on if you go to liveyourdays.com you can sign up for the 30-day challenge so for 30 days starts at day one whenever you sign up that's your day one um you'll get an email that just gives you something to think about that day and a and a, a minor task and the task is meant to build um gratitude and um and you know just sort of a perspective uh, wow, I, I really am in control of this day. And I did a 30 day challenge. It was really fun. We never ask anybody to run a marathon or, you know, slay a dragon or anything like, well, you know, some dragons are small. They're more like tiny little lizards, but that wouldn't be fun either. But it's, you know, it's <laughs> one of those things where, 
you know, every day you just get reminded of a certain aspect of your life that you can today, you can just do this one small task and it's there to remind you that you're in control and that you have the power to, to take today ownership of today and make it really special. And I also think hearing the stories of others, everybody loves a good story. We love mm. the uh, a heroic story. And one of the things that we can realize through the, your work and these interviews, it reminds us that we have the choice to be the hero of our own lives. Yep, that's exactly it. And, you know, I go back to there's been an estimated um you know, a hundred billion people born to this planet, you know, since day one of humanity. And you think about it, you know, you take a step back and you go, that's a lot of people. And then you go, well, I'm the only one of me ever. Right. (laughs) And I'm the only one that has these particular unique set of qualities. And I'm the only one that has this voice. And I'm the only one that can do whatever I'm meant to do. And, and, and part of the fun is figuring that out. You know, it's like, you know, when I wrote, um, finish first uh, a few years ago, you know, it was about, you know, understand your, who you are. It's like purpose. What is my purpose? And it's like, even if I dreamed and I knew, and I just felt in my heart that my, my purpose was to be in the NBA, it's not going to be on the floor. (laughs) You know, it's like, (laughs) I'm five foot four, you know, but then I take a step back and I go, but here's here's what I what I'm naturally drawn to, and honestly, Michael Jordan will never do a backflip on ice skates. So, True that. <laughs> yeah. So I, you know, I go, you know, and so there's power in that, and I go, well, you know, like I met a little girl, and when I went to um, finish first was coming out about the time of Pyeongchang Olympics. In fact, it came out while I was at the Olympics, and. Um, the venue manager there is a guy named Josh Lee. We became fast and forever friends. And he, um, he said, can you talk to my staff? And I go, sure. Why? And he said, well, you know, I, I find culturally we're struggling with identity and in, in South Korea, we're sort of meant to be obedient. Just do this, you know, serve, you know, the, the greater master or whatever. And a lot of, he goes, I just feel a lot of our kids are just without identity and I'd love for them to hear this perspective. And so I I gave my speech. And at the end, a little girl came up to me and she looked annoyed. And I go, yeah. And she said, can I ask you a question? And I go, anything. And she said, I don't understand what you mean about purpose. And I go, Mm. well, purpose is sort of a unique, you know, set of qualities that we have that, you know, lends itself to a specific identity. And she goes, I'm not good at anything. And I could, I could hear when she said it, that she's been told that a thousand times. So I, I just said, let's break it down. What brings you joy? What do you like to do? If you could spend just a day doing one thing, what would it be? And she said, I like to read. And I go, oh, what, what kind of books do you read? And she said, well, uh, my last two books were Jane Eyre and Withering Heights. And I go, oh, you love the classics. One of those. <laughs> and, and this big smile came across her face. And I don't know, I think it was the Holy Spirit just, just shoved this into my mouth. And it said, maybe you're an author. And her eyes did that little pop thing of recognition. You know, it was like, and I could just see, like, I could just see inside of her brain that all of a sudden all these synapses were firing that it never fired before. Like, wait a minute, I could do that. I, I, yeah. I mean, I, and, and it was like, 
are you kidding me? I'm the first person ever gave this girl permission to dream. That is so wrong. That's just like, she should have had that, you know, 16 years ago, you know? And so I just, I saw the power in that moment of, well, maybe you're this. And it was like, maybe I am. And, and a lot of people just, you know, are, uh, you know, they're, they're defeated, you know, that's like, well, you're no good at this and you're never any good at that. And you're just this and you're not that. And, and it's, it's like, well, you're allowing all these outside forces to kind of allow, you know, their opinions to be thrust on you. And, and I, I, I really feel strongly that if we just take a step back and we say, what am I good at? What do I like to do? What am I drawn to? Then you can, you know, sort of allow the naysayers and all the, you know, opinions that are, you know, being thrust on you, just take it its own identity and, you know, on the bench, right? Just go take a, just go ride the pine there for a little bit. Cause I'm in the game here, you know, and yeah, I'm gonna, in the game. I mean, and I think that's what this is really all about, you know, live your days and, and, and how we show up and fully occupy our lives is remaining in the game. And I think you said something really important about Per- permission to have our dreams. Like nobody can ever strip us of that, no matter what kind of society we live in. That is uniquely ours. And, and no one can take that away from us. Well, they'll try though. No, they'll, they'll, they'll try. Oh, yes, yes. I understand. But you know what? The, but the ultimate freedom is in our hearts and minds. Yeah. Yeah. That's we, it. you got to go. I got to go. And I, you know, thank you for, um, coming to my happy place or me coming to yours today. This has been great to learn more about Scott's work with the Live Your Days campaign and his podcast. Please go to liveyourdays.com on Twitter at Live Your Days. Facebook is at Live Your Days official and on Instagram that is at Live Your Days. Scott, thank you again. Come hang out anytime. Oh, you're the best. I love harvesting happiness. I think that's the greatest thing in the world. We're going to take a quick pause and then we'll be back to continue the conversation. Did you know that happiness is actually good for your health? Happy people live longer, are more productive, and make better partners, parents, and professionals. Connect with us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and follow Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen for a daily dose of inspiration. Welcome back. We're continuing the conversation about what it takes to rise up, reaching for resilience in challenging times. My next guest is Sebastian Matthews. My guest today, Sebastian Matthews, is a poet and a writer living in Asheville, North Carolina with his wife and son. He teaches at several colleges and universities. He's the author of a memoir, two award-winning poetry books, and one novel. We're talking about beyond repair, living in a fractured state. What happens when we are triggered by a trigger. And Sebastian, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us today on Harvesting Happiness. Hey, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you. We we often talk about the dark side on a happiness podcast. And really, the, the, the focus is, you know, how do we make meaning? How do we bounce back from life's difficulties? And your book, Beyond Repair, Living in a Fractured State, chronicles a four-year journey from 2014 through 2018 about your recovery and healing from a major automobile accident. I'd love for you to kind of set the stage for us and give us a bit of the backstory. You bet. The accident happened in 2011. It was a head-on collision. 
that my family just kind of literally unluckily ran into. A man had a heart attack and swerved into our lane. We were both going about 50 miles an hour. So it was a very devastating accident. We took a long time to recover. And when we did, when, you know, it's one year out, you're physically essentially recovered. Two years out, you're feeling a little better. PTSD comes along. So, you know, I think people who've gone through trauma understand that it comes in waves. And so after about three, three and a half years, I felt like, okay, I can move out into the world again. But I found that I was triggered a lot through PTSD um, around driving, around encounters with people. And I felt like I needed to um, try to make encounters the central part of my life. I wanted to, as a writer, I wanted to see if I could connect. And what I found were people around me, not only was the world around me different, but I felt like a lot of people seemed to be triggered as well, that maybe the whole culture was in a PTSD state. And I think that's very relevant to the period of time that we're living in. You know, it, it, it reflects our collective story, you know, on a, on a macro level as well as your story on a micro level. And what did you discover about yourself and humanity through this journey? That's a great question. And just what you just said, you know, it's funny to be talking about this book now through the lens of having gone through as a, as a society, the pandemic, and it really does um, seem extra relevant, but also as if some ways the world I was living in over just two years ago is so so different than now. And so it's, it, things are moving fast. But for me, what I learned, and maybe it goes back to this idea of happiness or maybe contentment was, I think there were a lot of parts of my life that I wasn't really happy in, and I, or I was struggling around the time of the accident. And the accident knocked me off a trajectory, a course, and forced me to deal with a lot of things that I maybe wouldn't have dealt with otherwise. And so coming out of it as a, a closer-knit family with a deeper sense of community and connection, because all these people had helped us and our community was so essential to our recovery, I felt like I had a second chance, a chance to really focus in on uh, my child, who was eight at the time, is now 17, uh, you know, marriage, uh, I, I, less teaching, more writing. And it, so I, I really felt lucky. And I felt like, you know, the, what I learned from it was you got to move through pain, you got to move through challenge, and you have to um, be tough and persevere and, uh, and ask for help. So what I'm hearing is that the resiliency is what came to the fore for you, that you that life was actually pretty good before the accident, but the accident really forced you to reflect and prioritize and maybe um, really tap into the more emotional side, the software of, uh, of your humanness. I like that phrase. I think, yeah, I think you're right. You know, I, I'm by nature... Uh, as a writer, and who's who I am, I'm pretty contemplative and uh, a processor. But this was maybe a different level and or a different uh, frequency. Um, I think that happens when when you get uh, when you face death or when you face a real big challenge. And um, so, yeah, there's kind of a silver lining to the experience. Um, does that answer your question? It does. And, and 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 as we're speaking or as you're talking, I'm also thinking about the difference between men and women and our approaches to dealing with adversity. That typically men are uh, very very pragmatic in wanting to solve the problem. Women approach that problem solving a different way through the feeling aspects of their character. 
But it sounds like for you, because you were a, a contemplative sort of man prior to this, that it allowed you to even go more deeply to get in touch with that side of yourself. It did, and it, and it, so maybe a bit of a little bit of both. Um, there's a the side of me that after the accident, I rushed to get off the pain meds. I rushed to get back um, on my feet. I had broken both feet and legs. I'd ru- I rushed to get back in the car to drive because I wanted to be there for my son and to be there for my wife, who was going to have to take a longer time. And uh, so that was maybe that was maybe that kind of I wouldn't say macho, but that the urge to be practical to take control. And what happened was. Two years later, after the accident, my wife really had come back in a lot of ways, emotionally, physically. And she looked, turned to me and said, you've got to stop. You've got to go to therapy. You're a wreck. Um, and I realized that I had done what I had done at the cost of maybe my emotional life. Um, and so I had to back up and do some work that maybe you're talking about that might come more naturally to women. Yeah. And but it sounds like the work came through the book, that, that the book itself was also a therapeutic process in in contribution to the healing that you yes you maybe you went for therapy yes you reached out to your community but the um the inner work also comes from the expression of the story so true and I, I, but i'll break it into two parts the first book that i wrote beginner's guide to a head-on collision really was healing but i wrote it in the process of the recovery and it helped um bring me back the second book though though very much what you said but maybe a little less so than the first, because I began to get more into my mode of a writer or a reporter. I began to see it as a project, and when I when I began to connect it to the culture around me, that you know we're two years into two years, last two years of Obama, the first two years of Trump, lots of divisiveness, lots of um, you know disconnect uh, on many levels, all the racial stuff going on, and it was just like whoa, this this is a different world, this is a, a hyped up world, this is different than what I I knew. So I began to kind of wanting to to document something culturally through the personal. Um, you know, that personal is political. Um, always rings true for me. And and we were talking prior to the the beginning of the interview about being triggered in a triggered world. That some of your observations as you moved through the recovery process realized just how triggered the world in which we live is right now. Very much so. You know, I'll, I'll tell you a quick little story that starts the book. Um, I had been walking around my neighborhood, a kind of suburban neighborhood, a lot of trees, a lot of hills, and getting myself back to being able to walk. And I, I had a dog. And it was hard for me to do it. And, and oftentimes I'd be interacting with the people driving through. And I found that a, for a while that it was always these men, white men in particular, always in white trucks often, um, kind of being jerks. And, or maybe I was triggered and I was making them get mad. Who knows? But who knew? But I was having these really hostile interactions. And after a day of like three of them, I was done. And this guy came up to me at the end of the night. It was the last walk of the day because I write and walk. And it's kind of how I do my creative life. He, he opened his window and I was like, what do you want? You know, I was, I was ready to kind of fight. And he was like, oh, what's your dog's name? I love your dog. My dog just died. You know, he was just wow. the sweetest guy. And it was like, I was the one. It was the jerk. I was the one stereotyping him, you know, so there's, a, you know, sometimes it's a class thing. Sometimes it's a race thing. So many ways that we can misconnect. And so when I saw that and saw myself, I thought, okay, this is something to explore because um, I can't tell the difference from my triggers or what's just going on in the world around me. 
I think that is a very important point, you know, the, the, the separation of triggers and, and the blur. I mean, you live in a state that is probably very mixed, or would you say it leans towards conservative in, in your state, not your town? Oh, state, it's, it's one of the, it's the one of the um, five, six years ago, it leaned um, blue. It's more conservative now. I think uh, Buncombe County that uh, is a really conservative county. Asheville is a very progressive city on the whole. Yes. So it's definitely a mix. It's a mix. And so here you are living in a sort of more liberal or progressive state, and then you're seeing all of um, the tension or things are changing and percolating, and then realizing that you had a judgment against the, the white truck men, <laughs> you know, white men and white trucks, only to realize that, that last one that was could have been the straw that broke the camel's back was just some guy acknowledging the loveliness of your dog and and his sadness for losing his yeah you know that was the real that was the real and you know there's this idea of microaggressions the Claudia Rankin's book Citizen was a very important book because it's looking at microaggressions that uh, African Americans face often you know with white people and I find that it, it, it often that not only are they often aggression sometimes or sometimes confusions and awkwardnesses and misreads and that it often goes a lot of different directions um so to speak white on white uh you know you can misread for class reasons uh, culture you know all these reasons and i think we need to look at them very carefully right now because we are so on a hair trigger um yeah. that i think we're ready to misunderstand each other you know immediately but uh, and i yeah. No, I was going to say what but was so profound was this interaction with this man about his dog. And at the end of the day that his suffering or his desires or his pleasures were not any different than yours or ours, you know. Yeah, common humanity. Yeah. You know, the other event that happened early was uh, on the other end of the spectrum. You know, when you have to recover from a major wreck or cancer, you get self-involved by necessity and you get wrapped up in yourself and pain wraps you in yourself. And early on, I was walking around town, downtown for the first time and I was coming into a building and I was about to enter into a, a I was exiting a, a um, elevator and a woman, an older woman was entering. And as she was trying to touch the, you know, the, which floor to, to go to and doors were closing, she looked at me and said, where am I? And I just like immediately opened the, you know, stopped the door and said, um, what are you looking for? And we started talking and it turns out she had Alzheimer's and I helped her find where she was going. And she would have been walking out into the middle of a busy street and away from her husband. And I was like, you know, I was like barely able to get out of myself to notice she was in trouble, but I did. And I was, you know, a good citizen. I played my role, but I was like, that also made me think, okay, man, you're miss, you're going to miss a lot if you're not if you're so wrapped up in yourself. Wake up, you know. And so that was part of the project mode. Is, okay, I'm a writer. I can do. That. I can begin to explore. And as I began to travel more back as a you know, in my writing life, I began to expand and try to push myself into situations that maybe I wouldn't have normally entered. But that took a while because at first it was just out the you know out the door you know two feet. Um, we're going to take a break in a moment, but before we do, I wanted to ask you about the return to the classroom. Did you did yeah. you return to teaching through this period? I I returned too early. That was another thing I did. I thought we need I needed to make money, um, and I needed to finish the semester. These were things I thought, and I went back a couple months later. Actually, I was barely able to walk. Uh, I actually couldn't walk at first, and um, it was a mistake. 
uh, it was very difficult. The students had to help me through it. Um, and after two years, I, I took a break and I'm only returning now, really. Um, you know, you know, and how does that feel break. to return now? It feels good, but I love it. I'm working with adults mostly now, returning adults, but I, um, I don't have as much energy for it mm. and it, uh, makes a lot out of me, but it's so rewarding. It's great work. Uh, to learn more about Sebastian Matthews and his newest book, Beyond Repair, Living in a Fractured State, please visit SebastianMatthews.com. On Facebook, Sebastian Matthews Writer. And the hashtag he's using is Sebastian underscore Matthews underscore Writer. Here comes the break. We'll be right back. And that is a promise. Who says money can't buy happiness? Whether you are a skeptic or seeker, check out Lisa's new book. Are we happy yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life. A boot camp manual for greater emotional fitness is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Here's a truth bomb. Emotions are contagious, and happiness is a universally desired state. But we tend to forget that we all have the freedom to be happy or the liberty to be miserable each day, regardless of external circumstances. Explore the journey of human happiness, how to find it and keep it, with Lisa's documentary film, H-Factor. Where is your heart? Visit HarvestingHappiness.com to learn more. Continuing the conversation with my guest, Sebastian Matthews, we're talking about what it takes to rise up, reaching for resilience in challenging times. Let's get back to it. Sebastian, in the last segment, you talked about the circumstances that occurred after the accident and the recovery and healing process. And I'm wondering how your journey has affected you as a father affected your parenting of a of a teenage son in a very unsettled world that's a great question and i'm in the middle of trying to figure it out he's a senior in high school now he was eight when the accident occurred and he's kind of growing into his teens as it, in the span of the book he is a very sharp kid and um got a sharp uh wit and he really doesn't let anything go that he notices that he thinks maybe is a, or is a little off or fake and i think he that that um propensity of his was really helpful because he kind of called me on a lot of stuff i was trying hard to the parent maybe trying to over parent in a way and he was really letting me know that he saw that i was struggling and that he could handle it and you know kind of back up a little bit so there was one kind of a sense of both, both my wife and i of kind of learning from him in some ways as much as um learning you know trying to teach trying to teach him um you know, it was uh, when you have a willful boy uh, who's in growing into his teens. You got to give a little bit, and you got to give him a little room, but you got to be able to be there and hold him, you know, hold place for him, hold space. And that was hard to do sometimes. You know, again, being wrapped up in pain or being wrapped up in your own saga, um, it was a struggle. And so, I think you know that was the challenge. And in, in some ways, I was lucky and very privileged to take a break from teaching and be more of a stay-at-home dad because I could be a little more present in those downtime, uh, those down periods with him. Were your son and your wife in the car with you? 
Yeah, I was driving. My wife was next to me and our son was in the back. He was relatively unharmed physically. He had, we all had seatbelts, um, but he, you know, he was eight. He was in a chair. Um, uh, he wasn't in a chair, but he was, he just didn't get hurt. And um, uh, he had to deal more with the psychological uh, ramifications, you know, with us being away for a couple months and then coming home in wheelchairs and not having the energy to, to you know, play with them. And, you know, the, one of the things that was in the first book is we reinvented a game. We had an old trampoline and he began to lure me out with a, you know, in the wheelchair and he would be on the trampoline and I would get the ball and I'd throw it over the net and he would throw it back. And when I finally got out of the wheelchair, we did it. And then he started making me kind of take a step to my left. And I started trying to get him to, not, you know, my goal was to get it onto the trampoline without him catching it. And basically by the end, it was like an Olympic game. I had one bounce on the ground. We had a field. We had rules, you know, we had, you know, it was vicious. It was <laughs> so great. fun. And so in a way, he kind of showed me how I could be a parent in that play way, that way to be, a, you know, to be, because he's very physical, very active. So um, we had some great, uh, we learned some lessons together. What uh, did your injury and the recovery process teach you about recovering and repairing our fractured nation? Mm. I think, okay, I'm 55. I'm a white guy. I have got a lot of privilege. I can move through this world. I think people are understanding this more and more uh, pretty easily. If I wanted to, I could stay away from certain things. I can live in a bubble. Um, I can stay out of a certain discourse if I wanted to. Um, I'd be fine. Um, and I realized that I can't do that. I need to be uh, in the conversation as a writer. I need to participate as a citizen, give my time if I can, give money if I can, um, be there for my family and friends, but also for the community and the communities that I'm in. It really got me activated um, to pay more attention and to recognize that life is really, uh, it is a blessing and it's lucky, I'm lucky to be alive. And so I, I use it as a bit of a, as a catalyst to um, do more uh, and, and be, and not just so much like, like super buddy, do more, but um, maybe even better said, pay more attention. Do you think it helped you cultivate some altruism, or would you, were you feeling altruistic before? Was that in your character? It is. I think so. I mean, you know, it wasn't to some degree. Certainly, as a teacher, and um, you know, did some big brother, big sister mentoring, and I, I, it's not always a natural fit for me, but it's the inclination, the urge is there. Certainly, I think what this did was showed me, and I also saw examples of it. I thought the working with the PT people and the therapists and the, you know, EMTs at that first, you know, crash site, very impressed by all those people. They were incredibly, and the nurses, um, giving and strong and clear. And I thought, okay, this is, I'm not, that's not my path, but I can learn from these people. Um, so Maybe more so. Maybe maybe a little more so. And uh, finally, uh, there, there's an interesting point you bring up in the book, Beyond Repair, Living in a Fractured State, about the woman that you're married to, your wife. And I would love for you to yeah. tell a little bit of, about her and your community and your observations culturally. Definitely. Well, the funny thing is that I, she was a big character in the first book, and she said, would you please keep me out of the second one? <laughs> and so I had to, I, I did that as much as I could, but I had to, you know, I wanted people to understand that we're a couple and 
I'm not you know, parenting my son alone. I needed to give enough context that, that they knew. But I, I tried to keep her out of it. But she's Jewish. I'm, I grew up as an atheist and had no religion. So for me, allowing, letting, and, and participating in having our son grow up in a Jewish household was interesting, exciting, and I was up for it. And um, so, you know, bringing him to Bar Mitzvah, of uh, being part of a community. There is actually a vibrant community of uh, Jewish community in Asheville. Uh, but, you know, Avery's best friend, uh, he's adopted, and his best friend is adopted uh, from born in Jamaica and uh, his friend Phoenix. And so he's, a, he's living in a real white world, but, but as a Jewish kid with a black friend, you know, there, when the Orlando shooting happened, when all these things were happening, wondering about the police, wondering about... Um, you know, racial stereotyping, I had to kind of talk to him about like, listen, you know, being a, being a Jewish boy, there's some things that you may not understand that could come your way um, that you need to be aware of. And you need to be aware of it in terms of your, your friend. And you guys have to be, um, you know, proud of yourselves, but also careful. Um, and so it, it, it culturally, it, you know, being married to Ali and, and being part of her family and of joining the synagogue and, and being a you know, parent of a, a bar mitzvah boy, it's just, you know, it's just deep in my life, you know, and um, just all the cultural stuff. We're not the most, uh, we don't practice very much. And, you know, we'll light a candle on, you know, Shabbat, but just the idea that, it, you know, it's deep in my life and it's it's made our, our marriage kind of warmer and, and you know, it's, it's connected me to her family in ways that I wouldn't have been connected to otherwise. And uh, it's been a, it's been a real, um, you know, a gift. I just had a friend is uh, from grad school who introduced me to his friends. You know, he's kind of a Jew. He said, and, and, and "Kind of a Jew." <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, what if he, I bet you didn't expect to 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 end up where you ended up, and it was very warm and funny. Uh, and I just laughed. And you know, for me, when her father said I was an honorary Jew, it was a it, one of the best things I'd ever heard. Oh, and I think maybe. That's part of the journey of of the book, Beyond Repair, Living in a Fractured State, is the unexpected places that you ended up as a result of a a horrible happening. You know? Yes, def- definitely. And also, I think the challenge of the book, if there, uh, it's, it's not a um, prescriptive book. It's, I, I basically just show these encounters and try to bring you on a journey. But if there's a challenge to the reader, it is, You'll find if you open yourself up to people and try to be uh, in a safe way and in a a boundaried way, uh, generous with other people and yourself, you will go other places, new places as well. Um, And we need it badly right now. We do. I mean, the book is um, a testimony to hope and healing and possibility and rebirth in its own way. And I'm, I'm so glad that you're able to share it with our audience and that the ability to write and and grow from your experience um, is touching so many people's lives. I think that's, that's a gift unto itself. Yeah. Well, you know, it is for me too. And, you know, you hope the book gets out there and you, but really what you, what you, I think I've learned is that you hope for the book to be part of a bigger conversation or to be as an author here on this show, being in conversation, you know, hopefully people listening, get a sense of it. They want to read the book or they want to do something, you know, that is, you know, from hearing us talk, it's the, the exciting part. And, um, it's interesting to be doing it in the pandemic, uh, with, uh, so much zoom and so much phone, but it, it has, it's not even, uh, has some surprises and, and pleasant 
uh, aspects. I was worried about it at first, but it's kind of fun. I think that what this whole period of time has made me see and having conversations with people like you is that, you know, we can be alone, we can be separated, but we're not really alone. And you sharing this only for me makes that more concrete, you know, that 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 recovery process in many respects is very, very solitary. You know, none of us gets through it alone, but yet the journey is kind of solitary. Oh, I think so. I can, if we have time, I'll tell you two really quick anecdotes. Um, one, uh, probably uh, a year after I'd really gotten back to my, you know, full gait, my full walking, uh, I could, you know, people didn't even know I'd been in an accident. Uh, I walked, you know, as part of my day. So I'm walking through the neighborhood and this man was walking down the street, a young man, so tentatively in such a way that I knew what happened to him. And I said to him, so how long ago did you break your feet? And he looked at me and he almost started crying. And he said, how did you know? Because huh. I, I, said, I said, I broke both my feet. And that's, what I, that's how I walked. And I said, that was two years ago. And look what I'm doing. So good luck. You can do it. Yeah. And it was, an, it was a moving experience. And the other one is recently, a neighbor of mine has gone through some brain uh, cancer. And I got an email from her. I hadn't been in touch with her for a long time. But she was one of the folks that had walked my dog, uh, another dog. And um, she said, could you um, walk my dog when I'm away? And I'm like, you bet. You know, um, so there's another example of kind of you do it alone, but you are within communities. Um, yeah. And the virtual, the virtual community is, I found, a real one. It is. And, you know, alone but never alone kind of thing. And um, a testimony to the human spirit of resilience. And I, I thank you. I thank you for sharing your book and your story. To learn more about Sebastian Matthews and his work, please visit SebastianMatthews.com. On Facebook, Sebastian Matthews Writer. And the hashtag being used is Sebastian underscore Matthews underscore writer. Sebastian, thanks for hanging out with me. Oh, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness today. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen and my guests, Scott Hamilton and Sebastian Matthews, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Go out and rock your day. Keep harvesting your own happiness anytime and anywhere from the comfort of wherever you are. Subscribe, listen, and share hundreds of downloadable episodes via our free app or from our libraries at toginet.com, iTunes, Google Play, and other fine podcast platforms. To learn more about Lisa's global consulting services, please visit harvestinghappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen. Harvesting Happiness is produced in collaboration with TogiNet Radio, KBUURadioMalibu.net, and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange.